Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Small Talk No More. I'm Alex, and today I've got with me Joan Ozia from Reservoir. Hello, Joan. Hello. Thanks for having me, Alex. Thank you so much for, you know, giving me uh, some of your time. It's my and pleasure. So would you like, John, just to um, kick it off and, you know, tell us a quick summary of who you are and what brings you to Reservoir? Yeah, so I grad- I'm from Nashville, born and raised, um, which is very rare to be from Nashville and in the music business. And I yeah. went to the University of Georgia. I was an English major there and was going to go to law school, but quite honestly, was just too immature to take the LSAT at that time and had always played and written music. And I thought, you know what, let me give this a shot. So when I graduated in 2002, I moved from Athens, Georgia to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Mm-hmm. Well, I called a buddy and said, can I come clean your toilets? I want anything I can do to get my foot in the door. His name was Barry Poss, who owned a great record company called Sugar Hill Records. And he mm-hmm. said, look, I can't pay you. You can come clean our toilets. Um, can you start Monday? So I moved to Chapel Hill and I, I worked at the record company from 8 a.m. to noon. And then at noon, I changed from my music clothes into a suit. And I worked at a law firm from one to five then I waited tables from six to nine, and then I played in a band after that. So wow. I did that for about four months. Um, and then at that point, I got a call from someone I'd been in touch with for several years, a guy named Drew Alexander, who was the head of publishing at Curb Records at that time. And he said, we had somebody leave the company. Would you be interested in, in coming to interview? And I said, absolutely. Get me out of the schedule. So I flew back home to Nashville, interviewed, and they hired me on the spot. And that started my career at Curb Records in 2002, which kind of started in a dual path. I thought that I wanted to be a songwriter. When I got into the publishing company and I started to hear the songs that these professional songwriters were writing, like Lee Bryce and Doug Johnson and Walt Wilkins, I thought, you know what, my songs are pretty terrible. I should probably learn the business side really quickly. (laughs) So I did. And uh, I uh, continued to write on the side, kind of outside of my workspace and um, shortly became the director of A&R for Curb Records. And then I gained the link between Curb Publishing and Curb Records, where I was responsible for placing songs written by Curb published songwriters by Curb artists. I then re- once I got into the record company, I realized there was not an A&R administration department. Mm. So I opened up an Excel spreadsheet and just started keeping track of invoices to keep track of recording costs. And I was able to save the company about seven figures in 18 months, which that caught the eye of owner Mike Curb. And in around 2010, 2011, he promoted me to vice president of A&R, where I was responsible for about 34 recording artists from Tim McGraw to Leanne Rhymes to... Winona Judd, Lee Bryce, Rodney Atkins, really, really great roster. And all the while I was continuing to write. Um, so in 2012 was kind of a turning point for me. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the songs that I had written called Hard to Love went number one by Lee Bryce is now double platinum, almost triple platinum. Um, so wow. that kind of changed things. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And then shortly, about six months after that, I had another number one as a songwriter by Tyler Farr called Whiskey in My Water, which is another platinum single. So all of this happened really quickly. Um, and to be honest, I was really happy working at Curb. Um, 
having success as an A&R executive, having success as a publisher, and having success as a songwriter. And out of the blue, a guy named Robert Ott called and said, would you be interested in running my Nashville office? Um, Robert started the company Olay, previously known as Olay. And uh, I told Robert, said, no, I'm not interested, but I'd love to come talk to you. So I sat down with him and was really blown away with their growth strategy and their funding. And Robert's deal with me, he admittedly said, I do not understand how you all do business in Nashville. So as long as you make me money, I'll stay out of your way. And I said, deal. So I started in 2013 with Olay, ran that Nashville office for six years, and we had an incredible run. We had 22 number ones while I was there. We signed Chris Jansen, Tyler Farr, Adam Hambrick, Jordan Davis, Travis Denning, Low Cash, a bunch of really successful artists. Mm-hmm. And then the company went on the market in 2017. So through a kind of a series of multiple events, which is too long to get into now, um, I ended up meeting the wonderful people at Reservoir. And when I did, the timing was just perfect for me to open their Nashville office. And my pitch to Reservoir was, look, you all are the biggest independent music publisher in the world with no Nashville office or really any country music. And I've got Olay in the top 10 with predominantly country music. So what if we meshed our worlds? And they came back and said, we love it. We've been trying to start a Nashville office for 10 years, and we've never found the right guy, but you're our guy. So I signed up with Reservoir, started their Nashville office on April 1 of 2019. And we've had a a really successful run so far, but we're just getting started. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. uh, I think that you've you've got that hassling nature you're you're going for it even if you don't know what you're doing or probably you know what you're doing but it sounds like you know you just came out saying i'll go clean your toilets and then you know today you are running the whole show so congratulations thank you you know i was really lucky to work for great people i mean mike curb is Mm. probably one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the music business he was a successful songwriter successful artist producer publisher record guy So with Mm. him being my first real boss, to be honest, I didn't know any better. (laughs) So I just continued to do what I love. And I'm an extremely competitive person. And Mm. uh, I don't let people tell me no, which I've learned is the key to music publishing. (laughs) Because we hear no all day long. But it just takes one yes to get that big success. Wow. Yeah. No, absolutely. I completely admire that drive. And um, yeah, I kind of, is what I was telling you earlier, is the fact that now that you've got uh, closer contact with, uh, you know, probably younger people within the company, then they can actually start learning that sort of skill, which is, um, you know, if the drive comes from the top and then, you know, the, the um, you know, the leaders of the company, they are taking the whole weight of the sh- on the shoulders, then they will learn to do the exactly the same thing. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I could not say more wonderful things about the leadership at Reservoir. Golnar, Khosrowshahi, and Rel Lafard are just really great leaders. Um, mm. Honest, ethical, love music. So it really does. It starts from the top. So, hey, we always start all the interviews with um, a quick icebreaker game that's got short questions and short answers. And let's see how quick we can answer all of them. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Cool. Okay, John, so what's your favorite song or album? 
Whew, that is a hard question for a songwriter and a music publisher, but probably <laughs> the most influential album that made me want to get into the music business was Heartbreaker mm-hmm. by Ryan Adams. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what would be an artist they would love to work with? Gosh, I've worked with some amazing artists, but I think probably the Beatles. Interesting. Cool. Um, unrelated question, do you prefer cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. Okay, do you have a dog? I do. I have a golden doodle. <gasps> Amazing. I'm, I'm sure I'm you, the... will, you will probably hear her shortly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm on the waiting list for a, um, for a bull mastiff. Oh, great. Um, so really looking forward to that. Um, yeah. But hey, uh, let's move on. And that is, um, do you prefer books or do you usually wait for the movie to come out? I'll probably wait for the movie to come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And do you prefer money or time? Oh, music. Sorry. Let me do that again. Do you prefer music or money? I prefer music, but I feel like if you take care of the music, the money will come. That's a very good point. That's a really, really good point. There you go. Um, Do you prefer the city life or countryside? Countryside for me. Mm -hmm. And um, who is someone that you trust? Uh, My wife someone really important to trust yes absolutely yes. <laughs> um next question i've got two more questions one is if you could give um your 20 year old self a piece of advice what would that be i would probably say stick with your gut and do what you love um mm-hmm. you know when i graduated I, that was really my philosophy i figured that if i could do what i loved i would never felt like i worked a day I knew that it may take struggling for a couple of years, but I knew the money would come as long as I did what I loved and pursued that. Hmm. Um, everyone, you should listen to this. Um, you know, stay to your guts. Um, yeah, really important. I, I've got a question for you after this around what you mentioned earlier about your career. Uh, but finally, I'd like to understand what is for you the best thing about working in the music business? You know what? I love songs. I think music can really change the world. And I honestly believe that. I've been doing it for almost 19 years and I still wake up every day excited to hear what songs come in the door. Um, Yeah. And I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. (laughs) Very valuable. So um, this is um, something that I wanted to ask you, which is um, obviously you you had at the very start of uh, your career, you had a kind of a tough time that you were very determined. You had three jobs um, and at the same time you were playing in a band. So uh, what do you think was, or what do you remember being in your head saying, I'm still going to keep doing this? Uh, Was there any moment in time that you said, fuck it, I'm going to quit this and I'm going to, you know, take my full-time job in the law firm or what, what was it that kept you there? Many times. I mean, oftentimes I thought I'm absolutely crazy for trying to do this. Um, mm. No one in my family has done it. None of my friends did it. It was just something that I loved. I've always written music. And uh, I think I'm really competitive. And I think I really just wanted to show the world that I could do it. Mm. And was there any moment um, during your career when, so Ellie, you mentioned that, uh, you wanted to write songs, got into publishing, but then you realized, oh, maybe I'm going to stick to the business side. Was there any moment in time that you genuinely said, 
I'm horrible at this. I'm quitting what could potentially be my dream. I'm quitting this. Or what was it that took you back to saying, I'm going to write songs and then eventually being awarded for it? So what was the breaking point between I'm living this, I'm going to do the business, and now I'm going to write songs? You know, I think a lot of it was not knowing any better. Um, Mm. I love to write music. I love to play. And I realized the people in Nashville are the best of the best. The songwriters are. And Mm. it's a craft and it's something you, you have to learn. Quick side note, I started in the business in October of 2002. And my first number one as a songwriter was 2012 in October. So they say Nashville is a 10-year town, and I am 100% proof that it is a 10-year town. Um, And I think a lot of it is persistence. I think you just Mm -hmm. have to wake up every day excited about what you do. And in the music business, we hear no a lot. And um, it can get very discouraging. And it's a a lot of people that I started out in the music business are no longer here. Um, Mm -hmm. So you have to have thick skin and really believe in yourself. And you know, I'm not the most talented songwriter. I'm definitely not the smartest executive, but I can outwork anybody. And mm-hmm. I think having that is really kind of what's led to a lot of my success to where I'm still in the business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So did you have any any mentors that, you know, you would learn from and you would see, oh, this guy's more determined than I am. So I need to kind of, you know, I work him on that determination. Do you have anyone that you were learning from? Absolutely. I was so fortunate to work for a guy named Doug Johnson, who's one of the great Nashville songwriters, wrote a song called Three Wooden Crosses by Randy Travis, which was a big country music song of the year. He also wrote Mm -hmm. Skin by Rascal Flatts, which is just an amazing, amazing song. But Doug was also a producer and executive. So I watched how hard he worked um, and how he was able to balance the creative side, but also the business side. Um, I think both of us worked for Mike Curb at the time, and Mike was a songwriter and producer, but also a really great business guy. So I think starting in that environment was really, really helpful for me. And I learned how to talk to the business people, but I also know what happens in a songwriting room. So I Mm -hmm. think knowing, being able to use both sides of the brain has really been um, really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, But what I'm guessing is... uh... You know, writing writing a song at the end of the day is a very emotionally heavy piece of work. So it, you, it's it's not just the the concentration, the focus that you need to put into it. It's, it's more, it's it's an emotional thing at the end of the day. So how 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 do you manage to switch from you know logical business thinking to creative, or do you usually just need some time off after you write a song and say, cool, I need to relax first before I can be John Businessman. Well, you know, when I left Curb in 2013, I quit writing. I had come off two number ones and I just didn't feel like running a publishing company representing 30 or more songwriters. I didn't want them to think I was competing with them. So I did something really rare for the music business. I did the honest, ethical thing, (laughs) and I quit writing. Um, I miss it like crazy. Uh, But during that period, it was really hard. When I would leave a writing session, I would be completely wiped out. I mean, Mm. it's like figuring out the most complicated puzzle and figuring out where to put words and where to put the melodies, and it's it's exhausting. Um, So, I mean, but some quick fun stories. I mean, Chris Jansen, who's on a skip rocket ship right now in country music he and i would meet at the office at 7 30 or 8 in the morning we would write a song 
And then I would walk into the record label and beat 90% of the other employees. So I'd written a song before most people showed up. Um, so I think having that work ethic helped. And I think if you look at the most successful songwriters out there, they treat it like that to where they're working. I mean, from eight in the morning to midnight. I mean, these guys really, really work their tails off. And um, so it doesn't just come miraculously. These guys put in the work and put in the effort. Now, when I went to Olay in 2013, I really focused on nothing but the business. So mm-hmm. um, now I'm so busy on the on the business side that I don't have time to write, which I hate. Um, but it is what it is. And I think I made the right decision. Yeah. So do you think at some point you will go back to to a session? You know, I don't know. Songwriting is such a young man's game. Um I mean, I, I've never written with a track guy, which is what we call it in Nashville, to where they're programming beats and tracks. And that's that happened after I, quote unquote, retired. So I don't know that I could hang. But I mean, I still write for fun and make up stupid songs for my children while we're sitting around the campfire and whatnot. So mm. um, one day it would be nice to be able to wake up and write songs all day. But with a wife and two kids, it, it may be a while before I get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Wow. No, it's really interesting. Um, I I kind of understand why you're saying that uh, the songwriting might be a, a young man's uh, thing, but uh, you know, you've got the example of uh, Paul McCartney and Nile Rogers. They're still writing songs. Yeah. Uh, well, they're the best of the best. You yeah. know, and it's how you. I should probably say it's probably a combination of the two. I feel like music, the music side of things, is kind of the young man's game, but being able to craft an idea and put yeah. it into a lyric. That takes time. And I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the greatest songwriters in Nashville are, are no longer young men. So I should probably take that back. But yeah. that was just kind of my thought is that some of these young guys coming out of the universities around Nashville are so talented musically and, mm. and keeping up with what's hip. And, you know, I think a lot of the pop, hip hop musical influences have bled into country music and, um, so yeah, I mean, I think once again the key to staying relevant in the music business is to continue to to learn and listen to what's happening. Because um, I think the second you get dormant, our business changes so quickly that you get left behind. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point because obviously right now there's a lot of changes going on um, with um, issues. Whether uh, you know in the US, you guys had a lot going on from social and political issues and. Um, uh, not just that, we also have the, the world pandemic that completely stopped everything. So that's been like a lot going on and everything's changing. So um, what do you think has been uh, the biggest challenge then? And, and how have you adapted to it? You know, I'm fortunate to work for a really great, thoughtful company um, mm-hmm. during the whole Black Lives Matter Um, issue which continues to go on and will be an ongoing issue you know the first thing our ceo did is really was one of the first companies that participated in blackout tuesday which Mm. i thought sent a really strong message but also followed it up with real tangible actions we the entire company went through diversity equity and inclusion training Mm -hmm. we had two full days of training which was uh really enlightening and i think it kind of put that issue at the forefront and I think it helped us get to know each other better and understand the differences that we have. And mm-hmm. out of that, I think we learned that everybody has something to contribute to the conversation. So I think we're a better company because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, with COVID, I think we're still navigating through that. 
obviously the live music business sector has been just decimated and it's i mean it's painful to talk to the touring musicians and the artist managers and the booking agents i mean my heart goes out to them because no one could have ever seen that coming And I almost feel guilty to be on the publishing side because we've been relatively insulated from the pandemic. Um, Publishing, it's a long tail game to where we're, it's not super sexy, but it's, it's very steady. And I think a lot of our investment thesis is that we're uncorrelated to the markets. I mean, copyrights and the way that they earn are not correlated to the market. So interest rates go up and down, bond rates go up and down, Mm. stocks go up and down. For us, we may have seen a bit of an uptick in streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a bit of a balancing act. We know that we're going to see a hit in general licensing because of all the bars and restaurants being closed. So it's definitely been a lot to navigate, but I feel really good where we are. I mean, we continue to close deals and we've mm-hmm. signed five or six active songwriters in the past three months. So I've got more deals on my table right. than I ever have. And I think a lot of that is people realize it's a good time to sell a catalog. And and a lot of what we do at Reservoir is we acquire catalogs, but we're also developing talent. So it's a, mm. it's been an interesting time. It's been an interesting six months. But once again, I think the key to being successful in the music business is learning to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so talking about that, you guys are um, signing new talent and um, you're still signing these deals. So from your perspective, is it still a good time to make money out of music for music creators in particular? 100%. I mean, there are still challenges. Um, we went through a period where artists were not in the studio recording, which really put a gap in a lot of the deals that we do because most of them are on an annual basis. So having a six month pause to where no one was recording that hurt. But the reality is people were continuing to write. And as they adjusted to Zoom co-writes and the virtual co-writes, songs were still coming in. And the beauty of Nashville is we're built on songs. So those songs that were written during that six-month period, although they did not get recorded by them, they still have a chance to get recorded over the next 10 years. Um, So that's kind of the the beauty of Nashville. Um, But in terms of deals, I've never seen so many catalogs for sale in my life. I mean, I think company-wide, we're looking at over 150 deals. Wow. And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe some artists not touring and wanting to take some money off the table. Um, I think some of the tax implications of the upcoming election are probably weighing on people's minds, worried that mm. um, worried that capital gains tax may go up. So there's a lot going on. But yeah, there's still opportunity. And once again, I firmly believe, and maybe I'm naive, that as long as you write something great, that makes people mm. feel and have emotion, um, you're going to be fine. I think that's a, that, that's a fantastic point. And I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier. It's more about the music more than, um, you know, the, 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 the money that that will generate. If, you, if you've got something that you truly believe in and, and it's something that's of quality, and again, it makes people feel, it's what will bring all the resource afterwards. So completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's the key. It's learning to understand return on investments and learning that it is the music business, but mm. also having a heart and understanding for creativity. And uh, I feel like at Reservoir we do that better than a lot of companies. That's really good to hear. So, let me just ask you one last question before we wrap it up, and that is um right now you mentioned that you are developing talent what is a key thing that you're doing to ensure that they're having like a long lasting career? 
You know, authenticity, and I think making sure artists have something to say in a way that has never been said before. That's the key. I mean, of the people that we have signed, of the artists and songwriters that we've signed at Reservoir in Nashville, all of them have their own lane. They all have their own look. They have their own sound. They have the mm-hmm. things that they want to say and the way that they want to say them. And I think being honest, um, it comes out. People can, I mean, honesty is contagious and people can hear it. I think for the longest time, we always thought that our demographic was stupid and that's not the case and i think when people put real life stories and heartfelt emotion into songs it translates um so that's the key is being authentic and staying the course and doing what you want to do and being different but being great and striving to be great Mm, good point and i guess learning from from people like you that you know you had this one goal and you know no matter what was in front of you you still took to you know you you still had it there took you 10 years but hey you know, you still did it. I'm still doing it. I'm lucky to be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, hey, John, um, this has been really interesting. So I just would like to wrap it up with um, some of your biggest tips. So um, would you mind giving us your top three tips for independent publishers? Yes, and I'll say, you know, I am the president of the Nashville chapter of the Association of Independent Music Publishers. So I feel like I can speak to that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think first is love what you do. Um, I think if you love what you do, you're going to put in the effort and you're not going to worry about nine to five. I mean, for what we do, it's a lifestyle and it's 24 Mm -hmm. seven. So you have to love what you do. Um, I think you have to be a fan of the music. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think you have to be optimistic. I mean, there's so many terrible things going on around us and, um, there continues to be fights and royalties are going up and down because of the pandemic. And I think you have to stay optimistic because once you get negative in the creative world, it'll completely shut you down. And um, once again, for as many times as we hear no as publishers, it takes that one yes to have that hit song that changes everything. Um, so those would be my tips. And probably on a more technical level is, you know, know how to collect your royalties, but also um, sign things that you love and, and uh, you got to go out there and bleed and work day to day for it to make it happen. Wow. Thank you so much, John. It's been yeah, well, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for joining for another episode of Small Talk No More. We'll see you next week. Right.